I'll just talk very... There we go. It is so good to be back amongst you. It was about three and a half years ago that we went over to Manchester. We've had so much to celebrate and be encouraged by in that time. Um, just last Sunday, we baptised four people. Um, we, on Thursday, got to announce at the church that we are taking on our first uh, full-time hire um, as our staff team gets a bit bigger. Um, and we got about toge- uh, together weekend, we got about 60 people or so booked in, so you'll get to meet a good contingent of us um, in June. And as Ben said, it all started here. So because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity, because of your prayer, the kingdom of God is advancing in Manchester. Isn't that good? It's good being family together. At the beginning of the year, the Oxford University Press asked 8,000 children to name their word of the year. And I wonder what you'd think that that word of the year would be. Of all of the many words that young people know, do you know the word they chose? Anxiety. And that is maybe a bit of an alarming revelation, yet from my own personal experience, I distinctly remember a time when I was just seven years old, I was staying over at a friend's house, and I woke up in the middle of the night, not really knowing what was happening, but in what I la- experiencing what I later would learn to describe as a panic attack. And from that moment, that was the beginning of walking with anxiety in my own life at just seven years old. And of course, in the years since my childhood, this world that we live in has become increasingly consumed by anxiety. Just the last 15 years or so, the, uh, the, the prescriptions of anti-anxiety medication in the UK has doubled. In the United States, it has quadrupled. And those numbers would be higher in the under 25s. And as the world around us just seems to be unraveling over the last couple of years, with everything from the climate Uh, crisis, to the um, supply chain chaos, to the cost of living. There is so many reasons around us uh, with everything else in between all of those things that anxiety just seems to be the word that is on our lips at the moment. And I could ask you, are you feeling anxious this morning? But perhaps a more appropriate question would just be, what are you feeling most anxious about? that to live in the modern world seems to be to live in a world of anxiety. Or I guess to turn it on its head, in a world that perhaps more than ever is desperate for peace. How can we find deep, true, lasting peace? And this is what I want to talk about this morning, and it's great. It's already come up in our worship time. Marvelous was praying about it for Medea, that she would know peace. Paul was praying out that Jesus is our peace. And I think Pete was praying out about Jesus, our Prince of Peace. And as the Apostle Paul writes to a church in a place called Philippi that we're going to look at this morning in the letter to the Philippians, this is exactly what Paul wants for this church that he's writing to. He wants them to see that although they are a people in the grip of anxiety, that is what they're facing, this is not the place that God wants them to stay in. That he wants to show them the way to peace, the same peace that eludes so many of us. Paul wants to lead the Philippians into it. And as we go through this passage, we're going to see what does it mean for us to know God's peace? What does the shape of Christian peace from God look like? And we're going to see how for this thing that seems so incredibly elusive to us, Paul actually gives some remarkably practical instructions of what we can do to get a hold of this peace that we are longing for. And I believe that as we finish today, what God wants us to do is to encounter 
this God who is our peace. This one who, as we see him and as we meet him, we know peace, because that has what he's come to bring. So that's a bit of a, a heads up for us. That's where we're going to be finishing. It's an opportunity for us to pray and receive from God that he wants to bring peace, I think, to many this morning. So we're going to uh, read from Philippians chapter 4. If you're a note taker, you like a title for your message. I'm calling today's message Pathway to Peace. So underline that. Um, we're in Philippians chapter 4. I think the words will appear on the screen behind me. I'm going to read from verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That this passage is a promise from God, a promise to an anxious people of the peace of God is clear. We read how kind of thickly layered this promise is as he starts by saying, do not be anxious. And then he says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. And the God of peace will be with you. God really wants us to know his peace. This is a gift he really wants us to receive. And Paul begins his instructions of how we can start to live in his peace at the beginning of verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This is the constant refrain through this whole letter that Paul is writing to this Philippian church. This is the fourth and then fifth time that he says to them, rejoice that we should be a rejoicing people. And in case we then think, oh, that just means that I need to just be a little bit thankful in my heart. You know, a bit of gratitude here and there. The scholar Tom Wright says that this word, rejoice, can't be taken as anything other than public, outward, exuberant, loud praise, that we should be a people who rejoice. And this time, for the first time in this letter to the Philippians, he says we should rejoice always. And again, if, in case we're just kind of thinking, oh, that's a nice thought, but it doesn't really apply to my circumstances. Paul doesn't let, us, doesn't let us off the hook. He then says, again, I will say, rejoice. He's not get, letting us get away from it. Rejoice, 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 is what he says. But we need to be a people who choose to rejoice. To cultivate worship and looking to God in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. I think this fact that, that Paul says always here is highly significant for this church. This church in Philippi, they are really experiencing the pressure at this point. They are a poor church. They are made up of people 
primarily from the outskirts of society. They have very little going for them in that sense. They are a people who, because they have chosen this new faith, this, 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 this whole new thing, they have been treated with suspicion and have been rejected by friends and family. They've lost their jobs because they have picked Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And they are just this tiny little thing in a vast city. And remember, this is one of the first churches that's been started. They have no idea what their future looks like. No idea. Is this Jesus thing really the thing that we should be putting our lives into? They are in the perfect situation and conditions for discouragement, for hopelessness and fear. And Paul says, in this moment where they have, would almost certainly feel no reason to be rejoicing, he says to this church, rejoice always. That it is precisely in the moments when we don't feel like worshipping is the moments we have to choose it. That when you've taken yet another knockback and you don't want to do anything, it is just loading up Spotify, putting on that worship playlist and trying to rouse your soul that when you have had one of those days, it just feels like everything is going wrong. It is digging around, trying to find that songbook and just picking out your favorite one and thinking, I'm just going to belt this out because I know it will be good for me. In that time where you are discouraged, you're stressed, you're at the point where you just think, I am about to get completely overwhelmed. It's about taking a moment, taking a breath, and just telling yourself once again the timeless truth of the gospel and the goodness of God. Paul says, rejoice always. Whatever your season, whatever your circumstance, whatever you're feeling, we look away from ourselves, look away from our own situation, and we choose to look up to him, not just because it is the right thing to do, not just because it is good Christian maturity, but because it is good for our souls. It's what we need. And in case you think, oh, this just sounds far too idealistic, Surely this is just like a good thinking, good bookwork, but you can't actually put this into practice. This is theology from Paul that has been formed in the grit and the noise and the blood of real life ministry. To this point in Paul's life, he has been wrongly accused. He has been beaten. He has been suffered the severing of almost every one of his relationships. He has been wrongfully imprisoned. He has been shipwrecked multiple times. He has been chased out of cities by the people he used to call brothers for his new found Christian faith. And now he finds himself wasting away, malnourished in a prison cell. He doesn't know whether this is going to be the end of his life, whether he'll ever properly see the light of day again. And in this cauldron of psychological pressure and turmoil, as he writes this letter, all through it, he says, I will rejoice. This was the fuel that carried Paul through his whole life of ministry, helped him endure countless trials and hardships. He learned to be a man of worship. In any and every season, he just chose it. I'm going to choose to look away from this ship that is about to sink, and I'm going to look up to my Jesus. And he urges us and the Philippian church to do the same. And you might think, why? It's a clever coping strategy for him. Good distraction technique. Just get your head off reality and, and into the clouds. No, we rejoice always because there is always something to rejoice in. Verse 5, the Lord is 
at hand. This is one of those beautiful phrases from Paul that is just absolutely loaded with meaning and significance and truth. He's doing a couple of things. In the first instance, what he's doing is he's linking it back to chapter three, where he has been fixing the Philippians church's eyes on the things of eternity. He's getting them to look away from what is in front of them to say, there is more coming. There is a future that you are living for that you cannot yet see. In scripture, often when we read of this phrase, at hand, it's talking about something that is here and has started to come true, but it is yet to become full in its fullness, true in its fullness. You might remember it perhaps from Jesus's ministry, the very beginning of it. He talks about how the kingdom of God is at hand as he turns up. That the kingdom of God is here, very much started in the person of Jesus. It's real, it's tangible, but there is so much more to come. There is a day coming where the kingdom of God will fill the earth that Jesus is here to announce. But because it has started, you can be completely sure that day is coming. That fullness is coming. He is fixing the Philippians church's eyes once again by saying, the Lord is at hand. This king is coming. Remember all that you're facing in front of you, everything that's going on. Remember there is something else coming, something better that you are living for. This is not all that there is. As nice as the ministry is, and these screens are great, it's like there is something even better coming. Today might be hardship and pain and shipwrecks all around, and that is real. But remember, Paul says, that is not forever. There is a day coming when he will return the kingdom of earth in a moment, kingdom of heaven in a moment will cover the earth and all pain and sadness, confusion and anxiety will be gone in a moment. But that's not even the main thing I think Paul is trying to say in this phrase, the Lord is at hand. I think more in mind for him is that the Lord is at hand. That their coming king that they are waiting for is very much a present king for them right now. I think we see this as he's leading us to verse 9 where he says that the God of peace will be with you. He's saying, look, although you cannot yet see him in all of his glory and his fullness, although you cannot yet touch this person right in front of you, even so, he is right at hand. He is in your midst. He is with you in all that you are facing right now. This Christ Jesus that Paul has just been lifting up and adoring all through this letter that he is writing, the one that he's like, this one has surpassing worth. He is my prize. He is my goal. He is the one who gave everything for me. He laid down his life for me. And this is the one that is now exalted, lifted up, ascended into heaven, the name above every name, that one day every knee will bow before this one. Everyone will look to him as the conquering, victorious king. He is one day coming back. He is the one who is uniting all things in himself and wrapping up the whole of history. This king is now in your midst with you in all things right now. He is right at hand walking alongside you, never to forsake you, in your circumstances, in your anxiety, with all of the power of heaven 
in his hands to help you. Before he ascended into earth, uh, into heaven from earth, he promised, I will be with you always until the end of the age. And he has never gone back on that promise, not for a moment. That now through his Holy Spirit, he is closer than you could ever know. He is within you. He is beside you. He is around you. Rejoice always, Paul says, because he knows how easy it is for us to forget these things. When life is at its hardest, when life's at its most chaotic and everything's just going crazy around you and all you can do is that see the thing in front of you and it's filling your vision, Paul says, look up. And see that this God you know, this God you worship, he is with you, drawing near to you, longing to help you. The Lord is at hand, Paul says. And he goes straight on in verse 6 and says, Do not be anxious about anything. Which I think on first reading is a strong contender for Paul's least helpful pastoral advice that he's ever written. If you've ever been feeling anxious and you've told someone, oh, I'm feeling anxious about this, and they just say to you, oh, just don't be anxious about it. I imagine if that has happened to you, your response was probably, oh my goodness, thank you. It just didn't occur to me to not be anxious about that thing. It's just what I needed to hear. You are excellent at pastoral advice. But that is just not the tone of what Paul is saying. If you take it in the the whole sweep of his heart towards the Philippians, the context of what he's saying, I think what he's trying to say is you do not have to stay in the place of anxiety. That when you find yourself worrying, when you find yourself in this place of, of feeling anxious and stressed, you do not have to remain in that place. Here is Paul very much as a pastor speaking and saying, you do not have to be anxious. Instead, he says, verse 6, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I wonder if you notice in in verse 6 there what Paul is doing, what he's encouraging us to do. What that verse is full of. It's full of verbs, doing words. I don't know about you, but when I feel anxious, I often feel like there's nothing I can do. I feel powerless. I feel trapped. I feel like I have been robbed of all agency, that this is something happening to me and there's nothing I can do. But here Paul says that when we find ourselves even the smallest bit overwhelmed, stressed, anxious about anything, anything, he says in verse 6, here is something you can do. You can pray. And I think he's clearly expanding a bit on on verse 1 when he says you can pray in everything. I think it's really similar to the rejoice always that we see. And as he goes on, he then lists these various different ways that we can pray. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Not an exhaustive way or list of how we should pray, but simply saying in every situation that we face, we can pray in every way. We can pray to him by rejoicing. We can pray to him by singing. We can pray giving thanks. We can pray with urgency. We can pray in reflective stillness. We can pray very, very specifically for something. We can pray in tongues. We can pray what we would like to happen. We can pray what we think might happen. We can pray driving our car. We can pray walking the dog. We can pray standing in line for coffee. We can pray in the day. We can pray at night. I think you get the picture. We pray. 
It may be the last thing that we want to do, the last thing that we think could actually help us and be a good move in this situation, but we pray knowing he hears our every word because he is one who is right at hand, here with us, longing to help us. Because as we pray, as we take action, here is what happens. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just want you to allow the truth of that promise to wash over you for a moment. A peace that comes and guards your heart and your mind. Doesn't that resonate with you in this moment? Doesn't that sound exactly like the thing that you need to keep you going? Something that comes and guards your heart and your mind from all the anxiety that living in this modern world would throw at us. From clickbait, fear-fueled headlines that news agencies insist on using to try and grab our attention to social media giants who will just bombard our feeds with images that are algorithmically designed to try and trigger low-level anxiety in us to keep us doom-scrolling late into the night. To news that we turn on every night and exposed to the brutality but the reality of evil in our day as one country is invading another in the continent that we call home, into this cauldron of 21st century Western living filled with anxiety comes a promise of peace that will guard our hearts, keep us safe right in our inner being. And this peace, verse 7, surpasses all understanding. And I think this is really important for us to understand. If we're to understand what does this peace actually look like for us? What is the shape of this peace that God offers? Is it when we read of it being surpassing all understanding, does that just mean it's bigger and grander than we could possibly try and wrap our heads around? Is it kind of peace beyond our imagination? Well, maybe, but I actually think that Paul is trying to emphasize something a bit different here. I think he's trying to say that this peace is entirely different, of an entirely different nature to what we would expect. If you are anything like me, you think you know what will give you peace. You think, if I've paid off my mortgage, and if my bank balance was at a certain level, a bit higher, why not, and my inbox was completely clear, and my to-do list was all done off, and I had that holiday that I think that I deserve, and if my dishwasher would finally start washing the dishes as it is meant to, then if all of those things were to happen, and I'm sure you could make your own list and fill in your own blanks, you'd think, then, finally, I would know peace in my heart. And I imagine if those things were to happen, I would feel peace, something that looks like peace. But do you know what kind of peace that is? that is peace that is very much well within my understanding. Because by definition, I've just dreamed it up. It's the sort of peace that I can imagine. This is a peace that surpasses all understanding. That this can't be a peace that comes in the way that we expect it. This can't be a peace that would come by the means that we would design and dream up. This must be a peace that comes in the most unexpected of ways 
the most unexpected of times, in those moments where you think surely peace in this point, in this circumstance is logically impossible. There's no chance I can get hold of it. Surely I cannot be peaceful in this. There we can find it. This is not a piece of an easy life and of a straightforward schedule and nice relaxed brunches all the time, of no dramatic circumstances or relational tension. This is not a piece where we find ourselves being taken out of the noise and the chaos and the tragedy of a broken world. This is a piece that comes to us and meets us right on the front line of modern living, of an anxious world. Just as the Philippians church were living in, coming to us often in the most desperate of circumstances, in those moments where you feel like my life is collapsing, I don't know if I can go on. This burden that I'm carrying, it seems too heavy. As we look to God and we pray to him, God, would you take me out of this situation? He hears our cries and the one who is right at hand steps right into our situation. Right where we are, into our turmoil and into our anxiety to come and guard our hearts and our minds. This is who he is. The image that Paul is using as he uses this word guard is an image of like a garrison of soldiers, uh, an army unit coming in to guard something precious. And you can kind of imagine them with their circled around it, with their backs to it, swords up, just saying nothing is getting past us. We are guarding this thing. That is what Jesus does for us. He comes to us and says, even though the war is raging out there, I am coming to your heart and I am guarding it from all that might come against it. And I think what is so important for us to see is what Paul is saying here is a straightforward, logical progression. He is setting up for us a conditional promise. He's saying, if you do this, you will receive this. If you grow in rejoicing and praying, you will know the peace of God guarding your heart. This is one of the most stunning promises in Scripture, that we can know the fullness of God's peace guarding our hearts. But I do think so often we want to divorce this promise from the conditions of the promise. That we don't really perhaps give enough attention to the things that Paul says that we can do to get hold of this peace that is promised to us. This is the peace that we are so desperate for, that our society is longing for. The peace we need if we are to not just survive and limp through Christian living in Nottingham. This is the peace we need if we want to be disciples who walk free, if we want to be disciples who run fast, if we are to be a thriving community that loves one another as we really should, if we are to be churches here in Nottingham, over in Manchester, in Birmingham, in Newcastle, and who knows where that is next is able to reach those cities because we have something that they so desperately need. This is the peace that Paul walked in daily, enabled him to endure living through the most perilous of circumstances. And this is the same peace that we can know today. As we find the one who is our peace, as was prayed out before. This is how Paul describes God. He is the one of peace. The God of peace will be with you. That when God came to be with us, he came to bring us peace. Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace, 
He came to overcome the forces of darkness and disorder to restore peace into creation. We can only know this promised peace by entering into the kingdom and approaching our king. And as we see him, we see that peace is not just something that Jesus does. Peace is who he is. And so when we come to him, peace happens. And he is here this morning. He's right at hand. He's with us. And I believe that God wants to meet with some today, that we would experience this promise, maybe for the first time, maybe just all over again, that the God of peace really is with you, really is with us. So maybe we could have the band up just for a few minutes to welcome him. I don't think we'll sing a song, but the band will just give us a bit of, bit of music. Maybe, can I just invite you to stand? We're just going to have a time to come before God in the last few minutes that we have to welcome his presence. What happens now is we tune ourselves into the reality of God is already with us, is that we give ourselves the opportunity to get hold of something of this peace that God is here for us and offering us this morning. And so I want to invite you to perhaps just do whatever you would do to feel most comfortable in perhaps receiving from God. So that might look like closing your eyes just to minimize distraction. That's part of the reason we have the music as well, just to minimize any distractions. And maybe put your hands out as just a posture of welcoming God and saying, God, I'm here for you. Doing something physical can just put us in that place of, of saying to God, I'm here for you. And I'm here to do and receive whatever it is that you want to do. And it might be that this morning, right now, you can feel the flurry of anxiety, the storms of anxiety churning around your stomach. It may be that this week you have had to battle anxiety over certain circumstances or over you're not really sure what. Or maybe you just know that your heart is not in that place of peace that it should be. Well, Jesus, we welcome you. We welcome you, our Prince of Peace, who loves to walk amongst us, loves to be with us, loves to care for us, And we ask you now, Jesus, I pray you would be coming to ones who particularly need to know your peace in their hearts. They feel like they are right on the front line, right at the point of overwhelm. I pray, Jesus, come and bring your peace, your supernatural ability to, to calm the most anxious of hearts. That as we look to you, Jesus, we would see once again and believe once again and know once again, you are right at hand. You are with us and you're drawing near to guard our hearts and our minds. We thank you, Jesus. 
just want to encourage you to keep looking to him, keep welcoming him, particularly if you are in this pla- the place where this is just what you're experiencing and what you know today to be true for you. He's here for you. We wait upon you, Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, a bird of peace. And I believe that's what he's doing to some at this point. He's just descending in a very gentle way that you, you might even feel that sense of, I, I can just feel the presence of God. He's resting upon me. I believe that's what he's doing just for a certain few in the room right now. And we'll we'll draw things to a close in just a moment, but just for the sake of those for whom the Spirit of God is just resting upon them. It's almost like he's kind of now enveloping your heart with that same guarding peace that has always been true, but now he's just bringing it to an even greater level of understanding and revelation to you, that he is here and with you, protecting you. Thank you, Jesus.